You are listening to Prodigal Apologetics. Today we're going to be talking about, we're going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 21. Now, the topic of today's message is loving Jesus. The idea is loving Jesus. Listen to what God's word says in this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, through according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, you, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, Things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be bought, brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time, during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your fathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So there's a lot to unpack here with this scripture. And there's a lot of, a lot of, information that God is giving us about our salvation. And this is specifically for the believer in Christ, the one who has put his or her faith in Christ and trusted him to remove 
our sin. That's the important part, isn't it? Remove our sin. We repent of our sin. We turn from them and we trust in him. He's not a way to just make our lives better. He's not some, he's not some, you know, some sort of genie that will give us whatever we ask for, you know, if we just wish on him. God is so much greater than that. He's not a divine butler, but he's a better friend, a better savior. He's a better friend and savior than any of these things. So the first point I want to discuss here is for this inheritance. In 1 Peter 2 and 9, I'll reread the verse here. It says, all right, let's go to verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Verse 10, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. 11, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. That verse 9 is interesting. Obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. God very clearly throughout this, this scripture because we, we refer back to verse 4 when he talks about obtaining an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, which will not fade away and reserved for you in heaven. He's talking about the inheritance that you earn, or not earn, but you receive from your, that you receive from your father. You receive this inheritance that is passed down to you. It's an imperishable, it's undefiled and will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven. So your salvation, your salvation is not just something you can, like the deed to a house that maybe you can, you can get signed over to you and then you can lose. It's not something that you can just lose maybe by mistake or maybe by even, you know, willfully throwing away. You can't do that because salvation very clear, clearly here is an inheritance, which is imperishable, meaning it doesn't go away. It's undefiled, meaning that it's pure, and it does not fade away because it's reserved in heaven for you. So your salvation is not guaranteed by you. Your salvation, your salvation itself is kept in heaven. And of course, we talk about this. We, we discuss the reason that we discuss this inheritance that we have, this great salvation, because... It helps us to love Jesus better. That's the point of this. Loving Jesus better. And there's there's more ways to express... Let me put it this way. There's more reasons to love Jesus than I can do justice here in 30 minutes to an hour. There are far more reasons to love Jesus than... I believe anybody could express for all eternity. We'll spend eternity trying if you're in Christ. But here's the point here. Learn to see Jesus in every part of Scripture because this book was written about Him. This book was written about Him. 
the Bible in one place calls Jesus your your elder brother. He's he he's a brother, a friend, a master, a savior. And from him we've received such a great inheritance given to us, and he suffered and died to be able to give this to us. If you think about this, an inheritance doesn't become valid until the one who owns whatever is being inherited dies. Well, Jesus not only earned earned glory and earned you know heaven, but he passes it to us. He passes his righteousness to us. The second thing I want to talk about is it was purchased. It was purchased. So not only do you inherit, you inherit this great salvation, meaning you don't earn it. When you're when your mother or your father, you know, passes and leaves you land or whatever they leave you, you didn't do anything to earn that from them. You inherit it because you are their child, you are in their family. You are their descendant. You are you come after them. You're their offspring. And in a similar way, that is what we are when we're born again. We are adopted into the family of God. And remember the Bible says that where you are or where he is, his servant will be as well. The next point he is we are purchased. This whole message should put put to bed that the notion that you can't lose or that you can lose your salvation because I believe this is evident that you can't. Now maybe you can go and, you know, blow through your inheritance. I mean, the prodigal son did that. However, the difference between an earthly inheritance and this inheritance is that it is kept in heaven for you. If you look at verse 18 through 21, and again, we're talking about why, or, or we're talking about just not merely why, but what the entire purpose is for loving Jesus and what why we should be motivated for loving Jesus more. Because keep in mind, Jesus is the one that bought your salvation. Jesus is the one that keeps your salvation. Jesus is the one that gives you salvation. And he's the one that makes sure that it can't fade away, that, it do, that it's undefiled. In verse 18, it says this, or let's backtrack to verse 17. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from the feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So in this verse we have, or in this scripture we have, if you're a Christian, conduct yourselves in fear during the time you're staying on earth, but not being afraid of the devil or demonic forces but fear of God who is holy and this does not mean necessarily like a fear like we're supposed to be saying that we are to be afraid of God is maybe a bit too simple of an explanation but then again saying it just means to be reverent is also lacking 
yes, we're supposed to be reverent of God. I find this missing in a lot of churches today where they say you can worship any any way or they, you can call God any anything you want to and live lives however you want. That's not the case. Conduct yourselves in fear like you would a, a loving father who you know would not permit you to do anything you wanted to do. If you grew up with a parent who loved you enough to discipline rightly and be and make sure that you were growing up in the correct ways and doing the correct things and held you accountable when you messed up. You had a type of fear of your parent. There's a healthy fear. There's a non-sinful fear. And that's what this is talking about. Yes, there's unhealthy and sinful fear. There's irreverence. But what this is talking about is a healthy fear. Conduct yourselves in fear during your time of stay on earth. This doesn't mean be afraid of everything and look over your shoulder and being afraid of your own shadow. The Bible says we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord who suffered and died for us. So on this point too, why we should love Jesus and what motivates us to love Jesus is that he purchased us and what did he use? Did he use gold? Did he use silver? What did he use to buy to purchase us? Yes, Christians, you are bought. You have been purchased. You have been bought. And I don't think that that is an accident that, that God uses this terminology. Because he traded, he sold his own blood to pay the penalty that God's justice demands. God is a just God. God demands holiness because he is perfectly good. He is perfectly, perfectly good. And as a just God, he demands holiness and goodness. And as a just God, he must punish sin. And he will. But there's a problem. Well, it's a problem for us. It wasn't a problem for God. God loves us and wants to show mercy. However, he also has to be perfectly just and punish sin, which, guess what? We're sinners. So what he decides to do is he decides to send his son to live the perfect life, no sin of his own, to take on our sin and then give us his righteousness, give us his his. You, you want to say his perfection. He gives us his perfect life. So when you stand before the Father, the perfect judge, God sees you as his perfect son. He bought you. He purchased your, he purchased your soul, your heart, your life. Christ suffered once for sins. He suffered once. The just for the unjust. And you were redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb. If you're in Christ. Because the Lamb, Jesus, was spotless and unblemished. If you refer to 1 Peter 3.18, you'll see more on that 
Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. That means that Jesus doesn't have to go back to the cross to pay for your sin again and again and again. Once you're saved, it's past, present, future, done, signed, and sealed. And furthermore, it's not only signed and sealed, it's signed and sealed by a king. And if you, if you know how this works, how a king's signet works, basically it means that no one can break the seal of the king unless they are more powerful or more authoritative than the king. And God is too powerful for that. So not only is your salvation kept in heaven, your inheritance is kept in heaven. So it's, it's an inheritance, it's guaranteed. It's purchased already by the blood of Christ, kept in heaven, and undefiled. I have a question. I have a question. How will we, who, for whom God, and I'm talking to the unbeliever at this point, how will you avoid hell? How will you avoid the just penalty for your sin? Because God has made it. God has made it very simple. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Nothing whatsoever. You may be thinking right now, well, I'll escape hell some way. No, you won't. Outside of Jesus, no, you won't. You would sooner be able to build, as one theologian says, a ladder to the moon out of sand. It won't happen. So, I want you to think about this. If God himself promises to secure the believer's salvation and buys it with his own blood, how will you escape? How will you escape such a salvation? You know, sometimes animals can be better servants, friends, and companions than people. At least they know who purchased them. And I have a I have another I have another thing to mention. Do do you spend a great amount of money on something just to abandon and neglect it? So for the believer who believes that that maybe maybe your salvation isn't secure. For the believer who for the believer who believes that your salvation isn't secure, how much are you going to be willing to spend something so valuable and then just abandon and neglect that thing? Well, think about this. Christ died. He spent the most valuable thing in existence for you, and you think he could just up and abandon you. Well, what about this? You know, I mentioned that I mentioned that sometimes animals can be better servants, friends, and companions than people. At least they know who purchases them. Well, if you're one of those that believes that you can live any way you want to, you know, any sinful way you want to after you've been saved, is it not true that you've forgotten who purchased you, that God is holy and he demands holiness? Now, this doesn't mean that you need to work for your salvation. That doesn't happen. That's the other ditch to fall into. But the Bible is clear that Jesus demands holiness. Because he is holy. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But it is that it does mean that you are going to strive for holiness. You're going to strive for Jesus, the chief 
of your affections. You're going to strive for him. If you love somebody, if you genuinely love somebody, one of the things you do is you you go out of your way to avoid hurting them in any way. You go out of your way to to show that person how much you love that person. How many Christians today don't go out of their way to don't go out of their way and just will will just seemingly wantonly brazenly sin against Jesus unrepentantly. Now that's the key word, unrepentantly. Because the Christian sins, and when the Christian sins, he is heartbroken over his sin because he loves Jesus. He loves God. If you claim to love God and you've never been broken over your sin, you're lying. Because when you start to love God, you you learn to love Jesus you will be so broken over your sin. Now I'm not saying that I'm not saying that every day, every every minute of your life you'll be broken over sin, but I am saying that the world is never broken over their sin. In fact, the unsaved revel in it. They don't care. They don't care that they've offended God, that they blasphemed against God. So the final point of this and this is this is a large topic this could be a series in loving Jesus you need to ignore the worldly standards of success ignore them remember that your inheritance is from Jesus himself it was purchased by Jesus himself and then finally you need to ignore the worldly standards of success we all remember the scripture, you know, in Matthew, are you not worth more than many sparrows? Jesus will provide for you. Jesus will take care of you. God feeds the sparrows and holds them in his hands. And those are just birds. How much more does he love those who are made in his image? And even more so, how much does he love those who are redeemed, who are saved, who are adopted into his family? No matter how it looks, God is always doing the same for us. He's always taking care of us. He's always loving us. He's always providing for us. And of course, again, I'm talking to the believer, the saved, the Christian. He's always providing for us. He's always there for us. He's always guiding us. The Bible says he's a truer friend than... He's, a true, he's the truest friend. Real success. You can make all the money in the world and it won't do a thing. You can have all the power in the world and it won't do a thing for you. Solomon was the richest person on the planet and possibly even the richest person of all time. And he, at the end of his life, or near the end of his life, said, Vanity, vanity, it is all vanity. That I have gained all these things. I've had hundreds and thousands of wives and, and concubines and all the rest. I've had every pleasure this life can offer. I've had all the money. I've had all the all the kinds of foods. I've had every pleasure that this world can offer, and it has brought me nothing but poverty. And I don't mean physical poverty. I mean spiritual poverty. And when you recognize that you 
before you are saved. You you have nothing, nothing at all. That everything you love will turn to dust. Everything. When you come to salvation, you realize that that the only thing you have and the only thing you need is Jesus. Real success is being in Christ and being faithful to him. I have marked here Isaiah 8, 11 through 14. I marked here Isaiah 11, or 8, 11 through 14. And this is what it says. This is what it says, and you'll have to bear with me for a moment. It says, well, let's start at verse 9. Or actually, let's go back to verse 4. That's, that, that's even better. For before the boy knows how to cry out, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Again, the Lord spoke to me further. And skip down to verse 8. Then it will sweep onto Judah. It will overflow and pass through, and it will reach even to the neck, and spread its wing of its wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. In verse nine, be broken, O peoples, and be shattered, and give ear all remote places of the earth. Gird yourselves, but be shattered. Gird yourself, yet be shattered. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand, for God is with us. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, You are not to say it as a conspiracy. In regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it, it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. And he shall come become a sanctuary, but to both the houses of Israel, stone to strike and rock to stumble over. And that's the point, isn't it? And a snare and trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them. Then they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. And that's the point, isn't it? The Bible says that God and his salvation, Jesus, will be a stumbling rock or a stumbling block. It's not the, fa it's not the idea it's not the idea that God is so unreasonable or that, that Christianity is so unreasonable because they're not. They actually are very reasonable. Incredibly reasonable. It's not that there's no evidence. There's a lot of evidence. It is one simple fact that stops people from coming to salvation who refuse to be saved. They will not bow the knee to King Jesus. They won't. Yes, we should practice good apologetics and proving the faith and defending the faith. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's a heart issue. The unbeliever needs a heart transplant, a heart, a heart surgeon in a sense. And it's only God that can do that role. Nobody can save you besides him. I want to leave you with this final thought. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a scriptural promise. That's a promise that God himself gives to you.
Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible also says, repent and believe and become a child of God. You can't really love Jesus. You can't really love Jesus until you're saved, until you're a believer. But even still, you can't really love anyone, not truly love anyone, until you're saved. Because once you are saved, once you know Jesus personally, that you know what love actually is. It is an agape-like love, not a, not a selfish love, but an unconditional love. I hope this has been a blessing to you. I hope that uh, this has been informative for you. In loving Jesus, we focus on our inheritance in Christ. We understand that we are purchased by his blood. And we can go forth to ignore the worldly standards of success. Because our faith, our hope, is alone in Christ.